The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good morning, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTUV, DVXYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. I'm the editor at SonsLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here on Friday. <laughs> We're going to rock your boat today, okay? We really are going to rock the boat, um, but we're going to rock it in just a minute, okay? Uh, let me get the formalities out of the way, and then what I have is I have um, some other things that we're going to share for tomorrow. You guys who are in the San Diego, California area, um, I'm going to uh, pro- – I've got my guest. I don't know if he got cut off or not. He's He was still showing. He's, he's going to call back in. Um, <clears throat> we've, uh, we've got something going on in the San Diego area. And let me tell you about that. As soon as I give you the formality, if you want to check out the, the radio show online, go to sons of Liberty, sons of Liberty media.com. You can watch the video portion of the show. You guys who are on red state talk radio, you're fine where you're at. Um, but if you want to come over there and catch that, because you're going to need to know this because this show is going to go long today. It is. And we're going to cut off our time at the radio end. So you can catch us on Twitter, FPP, Tim. Twitter at FPP Tim, and um, <clears throat> then you can also catch us on uh, uh, Periscope, which is Setting Brush Fires. Facebook page is Bradley Dean SOL. YouTube channel is B Dean Sons of Liberty. Beforeitsnews.com every weekday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time and Saturdays at 8 a.m. Eastern Time. And then Bradley's on in the afternoons, Monday through Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Beforeitsnews.com. That's where you can catch us. And also at DLive.tv at The Sons of Liberty. And then finally, if you're branching out in your social media outreach, Spreely, Gab, MeWe, Minds, and USA.life, you can catch us at Sons of Liberty or Sons of Liberty Media. If you want to call in any time, you guys watching the video, the number's in the bottom right-hand part of the screen. I know you guys wanted me to do something on Reformed Theology and Calvinism. Sorry, I, you know, I prefer to interweave that in with the practical things. Because if I just go off into that, so many people tune out, and then I preach to people who they just they just take they they already agree with me, and I'm not wanting to do that. So what I want to do is, as we go along, we speak about these things that are very practical implications of those doctrines. Okay, I'm just going to tell you, I'm just I've learned a long time ago. I go down through that stuff, and unless somebody's really interested in it and has questions, that doesn't do any good. So that's from yesterday. 
I know some of you guys will probably be disappointed, but that's not what we're talking about. But there are implications to those things, that theology and that doctrine, according to some of the stuff that even we're going to talk about today. But before we do that, what I want to do is a couple of weeks ago, we had Naomi Soria on, and she's a wife and mother out of uh, California. She is a millennial. And while everybody gives millennials a bad rap, there are a lot of good millennials out there. There are a lot of people who love liberty, they love Christ, and they want to take a stand. They may not know exactly what to do, but they're stepping out in faith, doing what they believe is right in doing that. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you just a brief um, interview I had with Naomi last night in which she's promoting what's going on on Saturday, July the 4th, over there in the San Diego area at 1 p.m. I'm going to do that. It runs about seven or eight minutes or here, and then we're going to bring on our guest and cover the rest of the hour, which is going to be on Abraham Lincoln, America's Hijacker, How Marxism Began to Change the U.S. Now, if if that does not intrigue you, if you say, oh, well, you're a liberal, this you know better than that. You know better than that, okay? Just hear the real history behind this because this is going to lead up to Monday Show. Monday Show will be part two with my guest that's coming on in a minute to deal with the Constitutional Militia. Guys, I know it seems like Donald Trump is saying to you that there's unicorns and, and rainbows, you know, all the stuff that Democrats promise you. And he's promised you, oh, peace and prosperity coming. I'm telling you right now, that's not what's ahead for us. And it's in a very short time. I really believe that. I'm not a prophet or son of prophet, but I believe that's what's ahead of us. And this information is vital if we're to know where we're going. With that said, I'm going to let Naomi speak to you and uh, tell you about what's going on in San Diego on Saturday. Okay, we have back with us Naomi Soria. Uh, we had her on about a week or so ago, two weeks ago, and she was telling us about the protest that she's doing out in the California area, how she was learning to do it. Uh, she's a mother, she's a wife, and uh, yet she finds time to go out and let her voice be heard. You guys really appreciated her passion and uh, her willingness to learn things on her own, uh, the way people gathered around her and they began to protest some of the lockdowns, some of the other things that she's been involved in. And so we want to have her back on because she's got a event going on on Saturday, July the 4th, that she wants to inform you about. So if you're in the San Diego area or surrounding areas of California, or if you're out of town and you want to go support her, we want to give her the opportunity to tell you about what she's got going on. And so with that, I want to welcome back to the Sons of Liberty, Naomi Soria. Hey, guys. How are you? <laughs> It's good to have you back on, Naomi, and uh, we're going to give you a few minutes here because we've got a guest that's going to be on in just a little bit, but uh, we want to give you a few minutes to tell people about what you're doing on Saturday. Okay, so on Saturday, it is the 4th of July, and Newsom has locked down most counties in California. He has said that there will be no celebrating of the 4th of July Independence Day, which is the most un-American, tyrannical thing I've ever heard in my entire life. So I'm a free sovereign being, as I've expressed before many times on my Facebook videos, and um, I will be out petitioning my government for a redress of grievances on the 4th of July, where I should be, you know, enjoying my family at the beach or anywhere I so choose. But, you know, California or San Diego, we're back in phase one of lockdown, which means, you know, everything's closed again and we're back at square one. And so Saturday, we are going to gather at one o'clock at 1600 Pacific Highway in downtown San Diego. And we are going to petition our government once again for a redress of grievances, which is our First Amendment 
God-given inherent right. And so we're going to meet at one o'clock on the steps and we're going to listen to some speakers. And this is a peaceful assembly. That means absolutely no violence will be tolerated. San Diego PD will be there as a barrier to intervene if anything happens with the crowd, you know, for our safety and protection, because we love law enforcement and we believe in having a relationship and and developing a rapport with them. And so we'll listen to some speakers and we'll, you know, wave our American flags and have a grand old American time. And we will be there to sign the petition to recall Gavin Newsom. So um, I want to discuss the reason for wanting to um, recall Gavin Newsom. So we'll start with the fact that not only did he pass Bill SB 276, which removed the ability for children to attend public school who have a valid medical exemption in the state of California, and he discriminated against those children. Now he passed a bill that removed their enrichment funds so, so they can't homeschool with those enrichment funds, which makes, you know, homeschool is an expensive thing, and that means that they can't have field trips and they can't have the enrichment that they deserve and the quality education that they deserve. So. He discriminates against children. So then he passes Bill AB 262 that says the health commissioner can do whatever deems necessary in the event of an outbreak, which, you know, oversteps our constitutional rights. Then I heard today that assembly passed a bill saying that they're getting rid of public comment. So we're not allowed to go and petition our government for a redress of grievances at the state capitol anymore because legislation says we were disruptive and we messed with the flow of hearing and that we can still send a letter via U.S. mail if we want to oppose these bills. So I'm sorry, that's um, not productive or proactive in my opinion. I want uh, my state representatives to see my face, to see that this angry mother just drove eight hours with children in tow to go petition my government for 15 seconds to say, hey, my name is Naomi Soria. I'm a San Diego native. I came here all the way from San Diego, California to petition my government to oppose this bill, this tyrannical bill that infringes on my rights. And I get 15, maybe 30 seconds at most. And maybe they'll turn my mic off or maybe they'll tell me to be quiet. You never know what you're going to get at the state capitol in California. So that's why we need to recall Newsom and we need to remove these public servants. And it starts with petitioning our government. So if you guys want to become productive and proactive in your community, you will come join a freedom rally of mine or, or another rally of someone else's. But someone who is holding a rally for freedom to open up California, to give liberty back to the people, to give the people their voices back because we don't have our First Amendment. Our First Amendment is being trampled on and we need to fight for freedom. Freedom isn't free. Freedom is a 24-hour job, seven days a week, something that we have to protect with everything because it is our inherent right to be free. So if you'd like to join me in my mission and you'd like to make some changes in the state of California, if you'd like to make any changes at all, um, please sign the recall here in California. If you're not in California, get involved in your community. Find out who your state representatives are, how can you how you can get in touch with them and let them know what you need them to do for you. Because remember, they work for you and your tax dollars pay their paycheck. And if they can't help you, then we need to remove them from their position. No, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And who are some of the speakers that you're going to have at your event? So I'm going to have Aaron Cruz. Aaron Cruz led the first petition to recall Newsom. And I'm going to have a couple of other people. I don't have anybody really set in stone at the moment. Everything's kind of up in the air, but we have a day to tie off loose ends. So 
Um, we'll have some people in the community come speak out, nobody famous, but people who are just, you know, they have a voice and they've made such a huge impact in the community and people need to hear what they have to say. Okay. All right. And again, people can go to 1600 Pacific Highway, San Diego, California at 1 p.m. on Saturday, July the 4th. You'll find Naomi there and her comrades, if you will. I don't know if we know what we call, call them comrades, uh, brothers in arms, brothers and sisters in arms, if you will, who are really tired of the tyranny that's going on in California. They're seeking to make a difference there and they're they're going the first route and that is uh, with their voice to address the government for grievances that they have, the tyranny that uh, California has put upon them. And uh, that's the first step to doing that is to gather the people up, to inform them, to educate them. This is something that I think people really appreciated about you, Naomi, that you're you're a millennial and you're going out there doing this. You're a, you're a wife and a mom and you're going out and doing these things. And uh, I think you inspire a lot of people for that. And so I think that's a really good thing. That's something that we want to encourage, encourage here at the Sons of Liberty. Is there anything else before we let you go uh, that people should know about Saturday? Just to come out and look as patriotic as possible. This is the party. Newsom said that we can't have a party. And uh, he loves protests. So make sure you come out and protest heavy. Come as American as possible. Bring your flag dress up, bring your children. This is a family event. This is a safe event. All of my events are family friendly. And I just encourage everyone to come out and have a grand all American time. All right. Well, we appreciate you, Naomi, and hope you get a lot of people there. Get back in touch with us and let us know how things go. And uh, until then, we'll catch you on the next time that we bring you on. Okay. Okay. Have a great time. Take care. All right. You too. Thank you. Bye. All right, and there goes Naomi, and I know some of you guys, I got this thing in my shirt. <laughs> I know some of you guys are saying, oh, the time for talk is over. You know what? There's a part of me that agrees with that. Our founding fathers, though, were ones who were who sought peace first. And I got to tell you, you know what? The Tea Party stuff, it was very much made up of what Naomi is doing. She is trying to do things peacefully without the shedding of blood. And you say, well, Tim, we're past that time. Okay, so far, I don't see that we're quite there yet, but we're getting dangerously close. I'm, that's just my opinion. I think you do everything you can, as the scripture says, to live peaceably with all men. And as a result of that, Naomi is winning over some of the younger generation. And some of the, look, I want to ask you something, guys. You guys commenting in the chat. How many of you are going to these events? Huh? Or are you just sitting behind the keyboard? Here's a woman who has a husband and children, and she's willing to go out and lead the fight. I'm just simply saying she's willing to go out there and say, we think you people are lawless. And she's willing to bring a petition lawfully to recall the governor. How many of you guys are doing that? I'm just going to throw that out there to you. How many of you are doing that? You know what? There was an old quote, and I forget the the specifics of it. Maybe my guests will be able to do that in just a moment. It was Teddy Roosevelt, and I'm no fan of Teddy Roosevelt. I think he was a usurper of the Constitution, too, with his federal land grabs. Okay, But he talked about criticizing the one that was in the fight. You know, the one that was in the arena, shedding his blood, taking the blows. It's one thing to do that. And it's one thing to actually be in the fight. 
whether it's on radio or the internet or you know out in the public or whatever in the politics whatever the case may be i get it i get it we are sort of armchair quarterbacks in some way i get that but there's a place for always calling out what the truth is what the truth is and holding that up until we have no other resource but a defensive posture and this is where the second amendment comes in this is where the militia comes in this is what we're going to be talking about on monday monday will be part two of today's show okay i'm just letting you know Monday will be part two of today's show. But here, let me read this before I bring our guest on. This comes from Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have known. We will not hide them from our children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. That's Deuteronomy 6, guys. This is what we promote here on, on the Sons of Liberty, passing that on. That they should make known, uh, known them to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who will be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. And the rest of the chapter goes on to recount the works of God among his people. And you know what? This is the issue. We have forgotten our God. We've forgotten the one that established us long before the Constitution was around. Hundreds of years before the Constitution was around. When the pilgrims stepped foot off in America, in the United States, what would become the United States. We've forgotten that, and we need to be reminded of it, and we need to be reminded of our history. And I'm going to tell you, some of America's history, the United States history, is very dark. And for some of you listening, it's going to be hard for you to swallow. But what I'm look, I'm not attacking you. I'm just saying we're going to present to you information. And all I want you to do is go do your homework yourself. Forget what you were indoctrinated in in the public schools and pay attention to the information we're going to give you here in this little over an hour here, because we're definitely going to go over the time because we're already almost at the halfway point here. I want to introduce a guy we've had on before when the show was setting brush fires. Um, but uh, he is a longtime friend of mine out of Texas. He runs the site tacticalcivics.com, and it is not just a website. It is a do site. You know, we talk about it on Sons of Liberty. We don't want to be a talk radio. We want to be do radio. We can talk. There's a part of talking, but then we want the doing. We want the actions. We want James too. We, we want to put our faith with our works, and so we want to demonstrate that we believe what we say we believe in our works. And with that said, I want to welcome back to the show, or the first time to Sons of Liberty, Dave, actually, it's not the first time. I interviewed David uh, several years ago on Sons of Liberty in the afternoon. Uh, David Zuniga with TacticalCivics.com. David, welcome this morning. Hey, Tim. Good to, good to be back on. Yeah, it's good to have you. And I apologize for missing the call earlier. I was trying to get all my stuff ready for the other. But, boy, have we got something in store for the people. 
because a lot of people, especially with the Black Lives Matter and all this, all this regurgitation of Abraham Lincoln's freed the slaves, and it was the Republican Party that wanted to free the slaves, and what we got into was not uh, a civil war. We got into what good old Southern boys like me and you called the War of Northern Aggression or the war to enslave the states, because Lincoln— The states, yes. Lincoln didn't free any slaves. What he did was he tried to make everybody a slave— and um, and because a piece of paper doesn't just set people free, it just doesn't people. And you can read your history and know that. So, David, what what do we need to know about this? Because we're going to lead up to Monday's show talking about a constitutional militia. This is something I've said. I'm fine with defunding the police as long as we then come in. We don't leave it in a vacuum. The people are the are the ones, according to the Constitution, who are to enforce the law. The constitutional militia. And so how we're going right. to we're going to lead up to that Monday. We're going to leave that off for now. But we got to as as I was reading in Psalm 78, we got to remember what God has done in our past and then what our history really is before we can know where we are and know where we need to go. So I'm going to turn it over to you, brother. Well, thanks, Tim. Before I get started on our friend dishonest day, bye. I want to thank you, honey. Naomi, Soria, I am very impressed with you, child. You're younger than my kids, but I wish I had a kid like you. Um, I'm very, very impressed with what that young lady is doing. I want her to get in touch with, or I'll have our New Jersey uh, Tactical Civic State Coordinator, Lourdes Trena, who really reminds me of Naomi. She's a little older than Naomi, not much older. Uh, she's our state coordinator for, for New Jersey. And they remind me of one another. And uh, wow, it's really good to see a young lady who's got all that stuff to take care of at home in, in Southern California, and yet she's doing all that she's doing. We really thank you Amen. for your service to the country. Uh, it really is. This young lady, folks, is doing more than any armored division deployed overseas right now for these United States. She is doing more for this republic than any than any military division is doing. It's very, very neat to see her on. So I'm really glad you brought her on before me so I could I could uh, hear her. It's really cool. Um, yeah, okay, well, where do we start? Lincoln, it, this is not about Lincoln. This is about a period of our history when a big, big change took place. It was a change that was intended by the bankers and the other powerful men, all the way back at the beginning of the Republic, all the way back with, with Hamilton. Hamilton was their first boy. He was their first snake in the grass. They tried hard. They tried very hard with, with Henry Clay. I'll talk about Henry Clay in a minute, because Henry Clay was essentially the hero of Lincoln. So they, the powerful men of the world were trying ever since the, the ink was drying on the Constitution to, to figure out a way, okay, we have this huge new productive expense with all these people and these new things, forests and railroads and all these, how do we capture it all? How do we, ca how do we cap all of these people? And, and when, when I call it the war to enslave the states, that's exactly what it was. If there was a way for a banker, if there was a way for a railroad man, if there was a way for a, for a, a owner of steam liners, whatever, to, to, tap into the American people and make them all work for them. It was through a man like dishonest Abe Lincoln and through the 37th Congress. It's very important to understand. It's just like saying 
Trump is doing everything right now. No, he's not. Congress is doing a heck of a lot, too. A lot of it, most of it is bad. So the 37th Congress was very heavily GOP. So let me first, though, set the stage with, with the whole thing about black slavery. Because, you know, Lincoln was a player. Fine. He was a, he was a, a lapdog for the rich guys. Okay. Um, anybody that understands history, you know that human beings' sin, sin nature is going to lead us to uh, uh, love of money, love of power, killing people, enslaving people, taking their stuff. It, it's just, that's what humans do, okay? That included, though, folks, all the Indian tribes that were here, okay? They were killing and enslaving whites and other Indians from warring tribes. It included Africans who were brought in it, from Africa, uh, uh purchased or sold by competing tribes in Africa and then taken to all the far-flung islands of the world by these uh, mercantilist companies that essentially ran like governments that operated under the flags of uh, Great Britain and France and Spain and Portugal and Holland and whoever. By all so, northern ships, I might add, too, Zaniga. Uh, there, there's, there, no southern <laughs> ships were involved in that. Uh, that's we correct. Could, we could go through a whole that's thing on, on the south as far as them... There, you know, many of those guys have gotten a bad rap, and they've said, "Oh, well, you're well, just bad slavery." But they knew if they didn't purchase these people, and in many cases, many cases, people don't talk about this. In many cases, give them the gospel, they were going to be transported down to South America, sold off, and worked to death. That's what they were going to well, get. Well, let me let me continue here because sure. this is very important. What you have brought, okay. This is nonsense. What BLM and the sixteen nineteen people and all this stuff. These people are very destructive liars. They're not just liars. They're very destructive liars. It's really un unpopular to say what we're saying this morning, okay? But the fact is, look, indentured servitude in America considerably improved the lives of these former Africans, okay? If they were hauled off to some sugar plantation in some far-flung island, that was one thing. If they were brought here to the American mainland, most of them ended up more faithful to the owners of those plantations that they worked on than, they, than their parents were to their tribal leaders back in Africa. I mean, that's just the way it was. They didn't want to go back. They did the, before 1655, okay? Here, oh, man. I, well, I'll try. Um, before 1655, blacks in Africa commonly, commonly owned other blacks from, from warring tribes and stuff. At that time... There were no legal slaves in America's colonies. You couldn't have a slave before 1655. You could only have an endangered servant. That's, it didn't matter who you were. You could not own a slave. All masters had to free their servants after seven years. That was called the period of indenture. And then when their indenture ended, they were given 50 acres of land. Does, does anybody, does BLM talk about that? No. That included a black person that was bought from slave traders. It didn't matter how they got here. After their indenture, indenture was up, they were now free, and they had 50 acres of land in America. That was a lot better than life back in Africa. But then, then let me tell you how chattel slavery began. That's where you own, like chattel, like your property. You own another human being like property. It began with a black man, okay? A black Angolan, he was an indentured servant himself. 
He took the name, the Americanized name, and I don't know what his name was back in Angola, but he took the name Anthony Johnson. He was brought here in 1619 to work on a, on a uh, 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 tobacco plantation. After he did his indenture as a free man, he started running his 50-acre farm. He kept adding to it within 25, 24, 25, whatever years. He had grown it to 250 acres. He had five black indentured servants. Okay, this guy, Anthony Johnson. In 1654, one of his servants, uh, the guy took the Americanized name John Kasor. I don't know what his African name was. Anyway, he had finished his indenture and he says, okay, I'm ready to go, boss. And Johnson says, no, I don't want you to leave. I'm going to extend your indenture. He says, you can't do that. Anyway, he wouldn't let Kasor leave. So one night, Kasor bugged out, took off at night. He ended up working for pay for some white guy down the road named um, uh, Robert Parker. So Kaser is working for Robert Parker. Johnson finds out about it. He sues Parker in the Northampton, Virginia court, and he wins in court. This is a black man who was himself an indentured servant, set free, makes his money. He's now a big farmer, goes to court to own another black man. The court ruled in his favor. Anthony Johnson could keep Kaysor as a slave for life. First time ever in America. Now, you got to know this was a custom back in Africa, okay? If, if you were from a warring tribe and you beat up another tribe, you kept those people. They were yours. They were like dogs. That's the way they did it in Africa. That's the way Johnson wanted to do it here with his slaves. So the court gave its judicial sanction for blacks only to own other blacks as chattel property for the first time, okay, 1654. If, you'll never hear that from BLM. You'll never, who's going to pay, who's going to pay reparations? You're okay. not going to, David, the, David, you're not going to hear that from the GOP. No, you're not, you not going to hear it from, from the GOP. Exactly, exactly. You won't. It's just, and you're certainly not going to hear it from any of the big corporations who are spending hundreds of millions of dollars in payoffs. So that, anyway, it, this is, but people have to know the first permanent American slave, Anthony Johnson, a black man, was the inventor of that, owning other people. He was a black man from Angola in Africa. Why don't we see black guilt out there? Everybody talks about white guilt. What about black guilt? Who started this? What about black reparations to other blacks? Who started it? By the way, by the way, not until 1670. By law, if you were white, you could not legally hold a black servant as property like the blacks could. See, in, in, 54, in 1654, Johnson opened the door for blacks to own other blacks. You could do that, according to the courts. Whites could not own other blacks. They could only indenture them for seven years and then had to set them free. They got land. Okay, so when the Col Virginia Colonial Assembly passed uh, legislation in 1670, allowing free whites or blacks or American Indians to own slaves, that's when, you know, it, it became a, 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 a level playing field. Now whites could also own sl slaves like the blacks could. But the blacks started it. This has to be known. This is, these are facts of our history, folks. Okay. By um, 16... 
95, 96, 97, somewhere before 1670. I'm, I'm sorry, before 16, uh, 1700. The fr free black population had gotten really, really big, causing the, the Virginia uh, Colonial Assembly to, to order free blacks to be sent back. They, they want to start shipping them back to Africa. So you know what the blacks did? They'd sell themselves to whites. So they could avoid, they didn't want to go back to Africa. They said, hey, man, this is our home. We love it here. We're, you know, we're working. We have land here. We can't do this in Africa. So anyway, this, this is, uh, it is so upsetting. Uh, if you know the country Sierra Leone and the country Liberia, those were both born as colonies for repatriated former black slaves that were trying to be, that were being pushed out. They didn't want to go. <laughs> but black slave owners, though, continued to own slaves. It, it's by, by 1830, uh, by, uh, yeah, by 1830, there were 3,775 slave-owning black families living in the South by 1830. By 1860, there were over 3,000 slaves owned by black households just in New Orleans alone, over 3,000 cases. So much for Black Lives Mattering. Folks, if you don't know history, you don't know what these people are doing right now to us, how they're dealing with our mind. Telling a lie is one thing, but telling a, a really destructive, really damnable, really insane lie like what you see happening now, it's absurd. We have to counter it with the truth, just the truth. Nothing, nothing ugly, nothing. I have nothing against anybody for their skin color. I love old people equal. I don't care about that. We're not talking about race here. We're talking about facts of American history. Okay, so dishonest, Abe. Let, I had to cover that slavery thing because it's really just pathetic how little history we know. Um, okay, well, he was born in 1809. Um, very, very transformative generation, that one. Uh, like I told you yesterday, Tim, uh, during that time, that generation of, of Lincoln was also the generation of Charles Darwin, was also the generation of Karl Marx. Those three very, very uh, impactful men who destroyed, uh, from, from three different directions, destroyed Western civilization, did it in the same, in one generation. So now, what I want to show you here, I want to... Uh, back out a little to show you the picture of what was happening in America. So you could see, okay, why, why was it that people didn't understand what was going on? Let me, let me just tell you some stories about, okay, you, you remember the, the Louisiana Purchase from France in 1803, Thomas Jefferson. He didn't really want to do it, but he was kind of pushed into it by the, by the Congress. They, they wanted to double the size of the U.S., so in 1803, he signs the Louisiana Purchase. The, the potential republic almost doubles in size, 530 million more acres, all the way from the Mississippi, all the way up to the Rockies, and uh, from the Gulf of Mexico at New Orleans, all the way up to the you know, Canadian provinces, uh, uh, which uh, Saskatchewan and Alberta. It was a huge, huge piece of land. All of a sudden, whoa. America just doubled in size. Okay, that, that, was, that was one thing. Okay, Lincoln was nine years old when the British ceded 
small pieces of territory in what's, if you look up, well, it was uh, what's now Minnesota and, uh, and North Dakota. And, and the U.S. ceded the part of the Louisiana Purchase above the 49th parallel, you know, the straight line up on top between us and Canada. We gave the piece above that to, to them, to the Brits, and the Brits gave the pieces below that. And so we kind of traded off. And uh, so that, that was done. Uh, again, Lincoln's a nine-year-old kid at that time, okay? But this is all happening. The, the U.S. is just growing. It's just growing. When Lincoln was 10, the Spaniards, the Spanish government ceded their U.S. territories, all of what's now Florida, a big chunk of, well, all the coastal area of Mississippi, of Alabama, of Louisiana, uh, a little piece that they had up in the Rockies, kind of north-central Colorado, kind of in the middle of Colorado that was left over where the two pieces overlapped. Anyway, all of that stuff was ceded uh, to us then uh, when, when Lincoln was nine. Okay, so this kid is growing up and he's seeing this. He's seeing kind of manifest destiny, what they were calling at that time, uh, manifest destiny from sea to sh shine and sea. It was America needed to, uh, needed to fill the whole continental area. It couldn't have happened, though. None of this could have happened without Dishonest Abe's mentor, his hero, like I said a minute ago, Henry Clay. Okay, when, when, uh, when Jefferson made the Louisiana Purchase in 03, Henry Clay was 26 years old. And he was watching this, and he was getting big ideas for all that new land and saying, wow, wow, wow. He, uh, Clay was from Kentucky. He, he uh, was a representative and a senator. Uh, for the state of Kentucky uh, in the U.S. House and Senate. He was also Secretary of State for a while. Um, but, but the White House, he never could, he never could, uh, it kept eluding him. He, he ran for presidency in, 20, in 1824, 32, 40, and 44, and he lost, <laughs> he lost every, every time. It was a problem. You know, Clay was a consummate hypocrite, a fraud, a wheeler dealer, heavy drinker, a real ladies' man, but he was a silver-tongued orator. He was the best or orator of his day, many people said. He was, essentially, he was, a, he was a politician's politician, is what he was. Henry Clay was a, was a real broker, okay? If, if any politician, if you could say that any politician ever instituted more millionaire, more rich people in America than anybody else, it was Henry Clay. Most of his political life, uh, he, he created this system he called uh, the American system. It had four key points, high tariffs, a national bank and cheap credit, uh, lots of federal pork programs, and uh, what's the fourth? Uh, and and, and DC, Washington DC being able to sell off land as it got it, land that actually belonged to the people uh, to be able to fund you know, all this new deep state full of agencies and bureaus and programs and payola and all that stuff. So through those high tariffs, that first piece of the web of the, his American system, through those high tariffs, Clay was hoping on behalf of all of his mercantilist friends in the North to stop the South from buying foreign imports. In other words, force them to buy from, from us, from Northern manufacturers instead at a higher pre-tariff a higher price than they could buy it from Europe. But if you added the tariff, oh, see, we're a better deal. So see, now you have to buy from us. So the other thing was, getting back to slavery just for a second, 
Clay was a co-founder of the American Colonization Society. I mentioned to you a while about Liberia and Sierra Leone. In 1816, uh, back in 1816, Clay was one of the co-founders of that society that was shipping black Americans to the new colony of Liberia. So these were American. A lot of these blacks were American. They were born here. They weren't born in Africa and they were still they're shipping them back anyway. And Lincoln was also a big supporter of that American Colonization Society. And people don't know this about Lincoln. He said many times, many times, it's in writing. I've got six books that I can give you the names of, and I'm, if I have time, I will. Uh, he again and again and again said the two races cannot coexist. They're not compatible. They shouldn't be here, blah, blah, blah. I mean, people don't know the real Lincoln. Yeah, but and let's let's add something, man, David. Let's add something to that because I want to, I want to, I want to drive home this point. You know, our God made us in His image. All of us, we came from the same two people, and He said He's made all the nations out of one blood. He set their boundaries, of course. But this idea of race is just it, this is Darwinism. This is evolutionary. Race this is, is not, fake. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It is not, race is it's, it's a false absolutely uh, category. Yeah, and so so they use a lie to divide us because, look, yeah, I get that certain communities have been conditioned a certain way. There's no question about that, and they've been targeted. We've seen that with Margaret Sanger um, in, in her efforts to kill off the weeds, as she called them, of the black community or of the Hispanic community or any other minorities. And we've seen it with Hitler and saying, oh, we have to have the Aryan race and this, that, and the other, all these kinds of things. And we've seen it in Muslim cultures as well. And that is an unbiblical, it is an anti-American, anti-Christian viewpoint. And so, look, if you hear me do the thing like I did with the, the white guy who was killed in a similar situation as George Floyd, I'm not sitting there putting the emphasis on skin. What I'm trying to do is show the hypocrisy of people who want to talk about yes, this, yes, this nonsense yes. about skin color. Who cares that's about what that? I, that's what I'm doing. I'm not yeah. saying, I'm not... Yeah, no, I know you're not. You I know folks, you're not who are black, I am not for one second taking any umbrage against you for your quote-unquote race. I don't believe in race. I think there's one race, the human race. Uh, okay, so if, uh, oh my. Um, Sorry, so I didn't mean to get you. I didn't mean to get you off. I just wanted to be clear with people that what we're talking about, when you're presenting this stuff, it's that none of this is ever brought out to the public eye. It's always the white man is bad. And it's like, yeah, the white man has been bad in history. No question about that. So is the black man. And I think that's what you're saying. This comes down to a human depravity issue, which is a biblical issue, which is, for all you wanted me to talk reform theology and stuff, that is the issue. It's the human depravity. And is the, more, the more we understand that, the more we understand what good government is, not what this corrupt government is that we have. I apologize for interrupting there, but I think that no, needed to be established. No, it's not an interruption. You actually were perfectly segued me because the next thing that I was going to say, uh, Karl Marx, again, remember, Charles Darwin, Karl Marx, Abe Lincoln, all teaching at the same, teaching the world at the same time. You got to remember, folks, the world was, I just showed you a piece, I'll, I'll tell you a little more in a minute, uh, about what was happening to America. America was expanding like crazy to the, to the Western Sea. We're not there yet, I'll do it in a minute. But Abe Lincoln's generation, while he was doing what he did, and I have 
gosh, lots of writing about this, as Kim knows. Um, as he was pushing the big new central government in Washington, D.C., which he did it for a purpose. He did it because the mercantilists who owned him ever since he was an attorney and he worked for these uh, riverboat companies and he worked for the railroads, he knew he, he was a player. He knew how to play. He knew how to do stuff, just like Trump. I hate to tell you folks. Anyway, um, by, by uh, let, me, let me go back to the, to the history and try to keep this thing in some kind of a, in some kind of a, um, uh, I, I think I, I was talking about 1816, Liberia, and all. Okay, in 20, in, in, in 1820, Missouri Compromise. You, you learned that in school. And all that did, essentially, let the politicians kick the can down the road about slavery for a couple of decades, as it turned out. But, but the 1820s, that decade was really, from an industrial and tech standpoint, well, tech of the time, was was a skyrocket, man. I mean, it was America was going crazy. Not only in terms of new land area, but in terms of new stuff happening everywhere. So in '29, Cornelius Vanderbilt was the first big industrialist. Right at the end of the decade, uh, he started his steamship company uh, in New York Harbor, uh, and and so it, it's there was a, a souring in America. The average American, the average everyday American soured to the rich. They, they were started saying, oh man, we're turning into another Europe. You're going to have the rich and the poor. And they started really looking down their nose at politicians and bureaucrats. They didn't like what was happening. And then came uh, in 1828, a Democrat, former army general named Andrew Jackson. He won the presidency. This guy was in many ways like Trump. He was a, he was a hayseed outsider. He wasn't a New York City person, but he was he, compared to the East Coast intelligentsia. You know, he was a he was a real hayseed. Um, he talked, you know, like regular people. He uh, anyway he <laughs> he he opened up his inaugural ball to the public. He said everybody's invited, and boy howdy, <laughs> they all showed up. Anyway, it got wild. The White House looked like a landfill. But the next morning, um, the people made fun of him for, oh my, for years after that. But he was the, the true, they call it Jacksonian democracy after that. He essentially took over in absolutely sucked all the air out of the party. And the Democrat Party was now Andrew Jackson's party. And Andrew Jackson had one thing he wanted. And that was he wanted to stop those bankers that stopped the second bank of the U.S. So. Uh, by 1836, his last year, he did. He stopped them. He kept the, the, the SBUS from, from getting its, uh, its uh, uh, whatever you call it, its contract, whatever, renewed, its, its charter renewed. It would have destroyed the brand new middle class. It was just starting to make little inroads in the little towns that were growing up all over. It would have just made all the big bankers even richer. Andrew Jackson stopped them. And that was his proud. That was the biggest deal. Uh, he, always his proudest accomplishment. In his uh, in his farewell address, he said, "Hey, I stopped them, but you had better keep them down. You, America, had better keep them down, or they will destroy this republic." Read his read his Andrew Jackson farewell address. It is still it is still perfect for our times. Anyway, 
So you'll see how that turned out. He was prophetic in what he said about the bankers. Now, so that's the bankers. Remember that. Keep them in mind. And all this land, okay, and Henry Clay doing all these deals. So here's Abe Lincoln. He could be the son of Henry Clay. Followed, every, followed in Clay's footsteps. So the republic is growing like a weed. And at the same time, as, as we said, Darwin and Marx and Lincoln are tearing down every major aspect of Christian Western civilization. All under, they're all under serious attack in one generation. Okay, so when you people, when when you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, think, oh, it all started with Jimmy Carter or Bill Clinton or the corrupt Bushes, Bush one or Bush two, or it started with Hussein Obama. No, it didn't. It didn't even start with FDR. It didn't even start with Wilson. As bad as Wilson was terrible, but not as bad as dishonest Abe. This was where everything. See, this war right now has been running against Marxism, and I'll get to that in a minute. Marxism is atheism at its core, at its heart. It has to be atheist. If it's not atheist, it won't work, okay? So this war is 160 years old, folks. It's not new. What you see happening out there, I tell you, I said it in my first book, uh, This Bloodless Liberty, 10 years ago. I've said it in almost every book I've written since. We are watching the kicking, screaming, bomb-throwing death of American communism, not its birth. I prove it in my books. I show you in history. I show you this is old. This is old. It's been happening a long time. Here are the players. Here's what they did. Here's where the bodies are buried. Folks, if you don't read history, you think that we're looking at the end, end of days here. I tell you, it may be the opposite. Now, are we under God's hand of judgment? Absolutely. Yep. Come absolutely. On. Come on, tell it. We are absolutely under it. Now, what does God do when he wants to judge his people? Does he make it easy? Of course not. Judgment. No, he gives them like wicked. A dad. John Calvin says he gives them wicked rulers. Yes, yes, yes. And, I mean, he started, well, anyway, we could, we could go on with a lot of these. But just, just remember what he did. Uh, with Satan in the book of Job, if you first chapter of the book of Job, you know, here's Satan coming to the big uh, angelic host meeting and, and uh, God asks him, what have you been doing, Satan? <laughs> have you considered my servant, Job? <laughs> yeah. God put, God put Satan on. The no, and, okay. And God Satan, will use anything he pleases. I, well, let's, let's make a point about that. The devil is the devil, that's for sure. He's not God's equal, folks. He's really not. It's not like God cast a vote and Satan cast. He is God's <laughs> devil. He is, I, I, want, I don't even want to say the vernacular of what that is. He's God's witch without a bee. That, that's what he is because he's used by God to bring certain judgments. And notice exactly. that when you're going about, against, uh, when you're speaking about Job, the issue is, is this. He uses him to prove that Job is the real deal. And you know what? Satan took notice that Job was the real deal. And that's why, in my opinion, from what I see in the scripture, that's why God said, okay, you can touch him for this, or you can touch him for this. You can't take right, his life. Right, right. He's wanting to prove his <laughs> steal, if, if, you, if you will. And so I'm glad you brought that up. Now, how does all of this, you're, you're giving these sort of surrounding elements, and people are going to miss out because we're going to run out of time on the radio part. You guys can pick us up on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, 
uh, Twitter, all of that stuff that I mentioned before. We're going to run out of time, and we're going to go probably long here with David because David is a wealth of information. This is why I like I do like bringing you on, David, because especially when the history, because people aren't taught to somebody in the chat. I think they were they're from Denmark. I think Joy's from Denmark. She's asking, how come we aren't taught this stuff in history? Well, you aren't taught it because the victors of history. In fact, I think it was I want to say it was Robert E. Lee who said, if I'd have known what I was really fighting against, I would have kept fighting. I would have never surrendered. And and so when you get the victor in power, they determine what gets disseminated as quote unquote truth. This is George Orwell, 1984. This is the truth of ministry. This is what these guys do. So David, this is why we bring people like you on uh, to a you know flesh flesh out this kind of stuff so that it wakes the people up. And look, I know people. I'm not I'm not attacking people, or neither I don't think is David. In the Republican Party or the Democrat Party, what we're trying to do is to get you to see what you're up against. You, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, a Libertarian, a Liberal, all those things I mentioned at the first, or whether you're black or white or yellow or red or whatever, all these kinds of things. This is how the deceiver, the devil himself, Satan, gets to divide us in order to conquer us. And you know what? We've got to be united around the law. That's what the Sons of Liberty is about, united around the law. First, the Bible. That is their foundation where the Constitution doesn't conform with the Bible. It's got to be changed to conform to the Bible because everybody who takes that public office are those who are to represent as ministers, Romans 13, for you guys, Romans 13 people. They're to represent God as the ministers of God, wielding the sword against the evildoers, not those who are doing good. They're not a threat is what Paul says to those who do good, but to those who do evil. And what are they doing? They're threatening those who do good and not those who do evil. In fact, they're being very soft to those who evil. And that's really where we're going with all of this. David, we're going to run out of time for the radio show. You guys on the radio, pick us up on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, FPPTM on Twitter, uh, any of these other outlets. Before it's news, go over there where Michael Roach is. Um, Go over there and pick us up because we're going to carry this on the other side of the break. And I'm sure it's going to be quite a bit of time here. David, tell people real quickly, you got about 30 seconds. Tell people where they can find out more about you. They can find us at tacticalcivics, all one word, dot com, tacticalcivics.com. They can also find us on Facebook. Uh, we have a page, Tactical Civics. We have many, many groups. All of our, right now we have 189 counties that have started groups, uh, teams, chapters, and uh, more every day or every week. And so uh, we need to get to all 3,141 uh, counties or county equivalents. If you, Monday we're going to really get into the meet. Today yeah, we're doing Lincoln. The, okay, uh, so, if, David, we, we got to cut off here for the radio show. We'll be right back on the other side. 23, 20, 24 hours we'll be back with Kate Shimarani. See ya. All right, uh, my music cut back on. I don't know what's up with this this radio thing. It just doesn't stop with what we're doing. It starts the music again. You know, David, uh, Renee says, beware, he may try to write a whole show for you. Well, you know what, Renee? We've had a whole bunch of shows with David, and I think we've had, what, three, four, five shows uh, together on Sunday. Oh, at least, and, yeah. Yeah, in the afternoon and then in the morning with Setting Brush Fires when I was doing that last year. And we're bringing you on now. We're going to bring you on Monday. So you guys who are who are really interested in what David has to provide, let me let me just show this real quickly. 
because I had these pulled up, and I think I showed it during your talk. David's written several books, and um, some of these are free. I don't know, if David, if you offer these on your website for free or not, but you've got them on Amazon. People can pick them up. I mean, they're dirt cheap here, most of them. Um, it, 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 we price as, them as cheap as they will allow us to. Yeah, yeah. now some of these say but, paperback, and, and that's not really a choice of yours. I think this is an issue with Amazon. But uh, if you get the digital issue of these books, they're very they're very inexpensive. And uh, we've got something that we're going to have as a special um, thing for you guys when we archive the show in the afternoon or in, this morning. And that is David's done a six-part podcast on this whole thing that we're talking about, six parts. And it's going to be free for you to pull it up and um, and to, 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 to glean the insights that he has here. There's another guy who's heavily influenced you, David, and I don't know if you want to speak to this as far as Lincoln and then get more into Lincoln, and that's Thomas, D. Loren- or Thomas J. DiLorenzo. And uh, he's done The Real Lincoln. He's done Lincoln Unmasked. He's done some other uh, things. He's got a book coming out in just a couple of days, July the 7th, called The Problem with Lincoln. And people will say, well, this is a revision. This is a revisionist. No, this is a guy who's actually done his homework. He'll quote from the sources. And uh, this is a guy, I think he's heavily influenced you as well, is, hasn't he? Yes, he has. He was, in fact, Tom Lorenzo was probably the first one to really put me on Lincoln's case after I read his first book. And then it came out revised later. And then the second one came out. And I said, okay, I'm going to dig deeper. I started finding more books. And, uh, there are there are actually many good ones out there, but Tom is probably among the best because he popularizes. He makes the book very easy to read for non non scholars. Uh, but but let me tell you about an African American scholar uh, who just passed away last year. His name was Lerone Bennett Jr., and he wrote a phenomenal book, impeccably documented, hundreds of original source quotes. He call it's called Forced Into, you'll find it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, whatever. It's called Forced Into Glory, Abraham Lincoln's White Dream. Amazing book. Ama- Every page you'll go, what? What? You, you won't believe it. Here's a black scholar who is writing at the top of his game. Now, there's a lot of excellent black scholars today who are, saying amazing things, but Lerone Bennett, I had never heard of him before. I found his book. I heard it on, uh, talked about on the radio. Forced into Glory, Abraham Lincoln's White Dream. Phenomenal. He shows Dishonest Abe was a consummate white supremacist. He was a snake in the grass. This is a black scholar with tons of original source quotes. So that's a great book. Um, well, we're going to get into the Marxism part now. So, and of course, uh, De Lorenzo Tom has Lincoln Unmasked and the real Lincoln and now the new one coming out on Lincoln. There's a big two volume one on Lincoln's personality, his his individual personality quirks, his uh, his fake spirituality, all of that. It's called America's Caesar by Greg Durand, D-U-R-A-N-D. It's a big two volume thing, huge thing. Tons, hundreds, maybe thousands. Of, of source document quotes. Anyway, he paints a picture that, wow, makes Bill Clinton look like a saint in comparison with Lincoln. If you think that I'm bad on Lincoln, read America's Caesar by Greg Durant and start. And when you read any of these books, go to the footnotes, go to the end notes, 
look up the, the sources that they're quoting. If they say that somebody said this, you know, William Herndon, his law, Herndon, his law partner said such and such, go look it up online, see if you can, can find corroborating uh, quotations from others. You'll find these guys are, you know, Lincoln was a bad, bad man. <laughs> a bad man. Now well, his, let's, his let's, Marxist uh, David, let's remind some people something. They don't they don't realize this. They all they hear is Emancipation Proclamation. That's all they most people know about Abraham Lincoln. He quote unquote freed the slaves. No, he didn't. Even when the no, Confederate soldiers had prisoners of war from the North, they said, look, we're running out of food. You've got to surround. We want to let these guys go. Now, most people aren't to- told this. We want to let these guys go. Will you come get your guys so that, you know, you can take care of them? We want them to live. We're not here to kill them. And what did Lincoln do? Well, his hard-heartedness self said, nope, we'll just, we'll just let those guys starve with you guys. Correct. Correct. And and you, what you'll find is that he was hated. He was the most. If you think if you think Trump is hated right now, oh man, read a book called The Unpopular Mister Lincoln by Larry Tag, Lawrence Tag. He was the, Lincoln when he showed up uh, for for his inaugural uh, the night before. He had to he had to come into D.C. on a midnight train wearing wearing a disguise. <laughs> Because they were afraid he was going to be killed before he even took office. The Unpopular Mr. Lincoln by Larry Tech. What you have in there is newspaper article clippings, public statements, uh, radio statements. There's tons and tons, page after page after page, and you go, they hated Lincoln. What's the, why was he, why has everybody deified him? Because there's a reason. You want a big central government. A big giant federal Uncle Sam. You want to turn it into this big behemoth that everybody looks to. And what do we have today? Precisely that. And who plays right into it? Who plays it better than anybody I've ever seen? Trump. Trump is like Mr. Emperor. He is. Oh wow. He just. He drives me bonkers. I'm not. An, I'm not an anti-Trump person. And I'll vote for him again. I'm sure. But wow. Anyway, um, those are some books. That you can go. Oh, there's one last one. Uh, uh, Lincoln's Marxist by Al Benson uh, and Walter Kennedy. And what that one does is it shows the ties between Marxism and the unconstitutional, unconstitutional new uh, national army that Lincoln formed that he, he wasn't supposed to. And he, it was totally illegal. And then this this new party, the GOP, that rose up from the ashes of the Whig Party. Um, and it, it's all, you go back and look, his, the generals of the new U.S. Army, all followers of Karl Marx. Now, you think, wait a minute, so all the GOP was Marxist and such? Yeah, it flipped. This all flipped later on. The, the Marxists are now Democrats. But back then, the Marx, Marx got his foot in the door with, with uh, uh, Horace Greeley's newspaper in New York. Horace Greeley owned the uh, uh, New York Tribune, and and uh, his German foreign co- correspondent was Karl Marx. If I can interject, David, knew- David, if I can interject mm-hmm. here for just a second, why do you think they called them red states? <laughs> it, it, I'm sorry, folks, but it does fit. It does fit. It really does. Uh, people got were starting to get very angry when they did that. I don't know, many years ago when they switched the colors. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
it fits. It's historical. The the red, you know, the um, red was the GOP color. Anyway, it's American history, folks. If you start getting into it, it's fascinating. Um, our newest book is a 300-pager. You can get it for free online called A Republic to Save Essays in Tactical Civics. The good thing about this book, it, it takes you through lots and lots of, well, basically what tactical civics is about. How do we take it back? This is what we're going to talk about on Monday's show. But I walk you through in 47 uh, short essays. Each one is only a few minutes long to read. And you can dip into any one of the essays, just go to the table of contents and say, oh, wow, this one looks interesting. And just you can just hop in. You can read any one of the essays. So, again, it's a compendium of essays, so you don't have to read it cover to cover. Uh, and it's free in PDF, and you can get it on the website, tacticalcivics.com. So that's the best single item that we have to sort of give away and get you started on why I'm saying, I'm telling people, not only are we watching American communism die, I know you don't believe it, wait a few years. It's going to take time. It may take, it actually may take 30 or 40 years. But look, whenever communism dies in the world, look at history. It dies messy. It never goes quietly. Well, that's what it's doing. That's what you're seeing on the streets. And when you see how they, they bring, what Karl Marx said and did, he felt that it had to be a world system. His system had to be all countries. We, we get rid of, uh, you know, national borders. We get rid, because he started by saying, well, it's all about classes. We can't have separate classes, the bourgeois and the, uh, and the uh, uh, proletariat. You, you can't do that. Everybody has to be equal. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and the guys that dole out all the all the money, the government money, I, I bet they're going to be equal, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, it, David, it's a can, David, can I let me let me interject? Let me interject a question here. We've got a question from the chat room. Uh, this is Joy. She's in Denmark, and she and look, I mean, she joins us every morning from Denmark. For goodness' sake, uh, that is so cool. Yeah, and we appreciate you, Joy, very much. Does anybody? We does do. anyone know why the American people voted for Lincoln if he was a socialist and he was a Marxist? It's not just a socialist. That's a step away from the really bad and bad for America. Why did they vote for him? Did, was it not because they bought into the propaganda that was being sold from the GOP? Not necessarily from Abraham Lincoln, because we've got the quotes where he said, "I'm not here to free the slaves and all this other stuff." He used that as a as a political propaganda to to justify his violation of the Constitution, did he not? I mean, you can speak to that. Yes, he did. I mean, this is a terribly complex question, actually. It's a very good question. What was going on that led to, number one, that led to the, the collapse of the Whig Party, which had to happen first. Uh, and so the GOP came in essentially to take up the position because the Whig Party had taken too much of a of a pro-white, anti-black, whatever you wanted to call it, uh, position. And so as it was dying, uh, the other side, because the, the, uh, the North-South split, the, the sectarian splits were already uh, you know, going on from the 1820s on. And so you had the North-South, and so the Democrats were getting Northerners and Southerners. Whereas the, the North, the, the industrialist, uh, you know, what used to be the Whigs, they weren't getting Southerners. They were only getting some Northerners. See, they, in other words, they were losing their, their numbers, and they had to have something different. 
And so the GOP came. If you remember the old party under the first, what they called the first party system, when when uh, uh, Jefferson and then Madison, uh, uh, you know, were the president, it was called the the Democratic Republican Party. If you remember that, that was the first time the word Republican was used, and it had very good connotations because those sixteen years, eight with with uh, Thomas Jefferson and eight with James Madison. I mean, I mean. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, were were very. It was called the era of good feelings, uh, and it, and it actually went over into Monroe and and even into uh, uh, Jake, uh, John Quincy Adams. But but um, the era of good feelings. So what they were trying to do is bring that back and say, okay, well look, it looks like you know the pro slaves are gonna are gonna win this thing. We got to find something better. And so number one, they had Marxism. And what was Marxism for? Oh, it's for all the working people. See, we're for the working people. The GOP, we're the new party, the, the Republican Party. And they use Republican. And so that sounded like the old Jeffersonian Democrat, you know, Democratic Republicans. So anyway, there was, there's a lot more to it, though. There so many things were going, were going on in the 1850s and 60s that led to uh, that particular uh, win. And... Uh, but yeah, I mean, they did. They did vote for him. He was a very good speaker. He was a good public speaker. He was a, a stem winder. He was a good debater. Um, so, it, you David. know, he got two people off, can, can we uh, add, two murderers yeah, can, uh, off. He, he was such a good attorney. Let's, let's, uh, let's, <laughs> uh, we got a question in the chat. Um, what would have happened? Um, what if the Civil War never happened? The War of the Northern Aggression, let me correct you, Matthew. That's what it is, not Civil War. Let's, let's get out of that. That's the narrative that's given. What if it never happened? What would have happened to the slaves? Now, um, my understanding is there were already talks to deal with the slavery issue. What was going on at the time, and people can research them, this themselves, was the federal government was all of a sudden drawing these these lines, the Mason-Dixon line and all this other stuff. They were making uh, federal law that was different for different states, and this was one of the things that started to tick people off about what was going on, um, it, because in, in some areas you would have this, that, and the other. But there was already talks about how do we how do we move out of this issue of having the slaves, where the where we can set them free, and they're not going to see. This is part of the problem people don't understand. When you if you set somebody free who is a slave, you got somebody else who's just going to go capture them and quote unquote legally under the law or the color of law, whatever. They're going to be able to take that person as a slave to themselves. So there was no, quote unquote, freedom for, quote, slaves. So there had to be a push towards well, it. We had already seen okay. it. It wasn't, it wasn't only that. There, okay. There's a much bigger issue. This, is, this portion of our history is so full of activity, so many players, so many cross currents, so many things happening. Let me mention one more book that will show you how complex uh, our history is and why it's not what you think it is when you think, oh, well, Link Lincoln and the slavery and that was the war. No, you, you, it's called A Century of War by John Denson. A Century of War. It's not a very big book. It's about, I don't know, 120 pages or something. A Century of War by, by uh, John Denson. He goes into some of the actual cabinet meetings and who was at the meeting and who said what and who got who to do what to sucker the South into firing the first shots 
at Fort Sumter, at that, you know, essentially an IRS, a, a tax collection uh, office in a fortress, uh, nobody was killed or wounded at Fort Sumter. Why did this start a war? Anyway, A Century of War by John Denson. He walks you through how Lincoln's handlers, these northern, the rich guys, again, I'm telling you folks, it wasn't actually Lincoln. Lincoln was like Obama, okay? He was the, he was the, the puppet of the handlers, in this case, the northern mercantilists, in this case, the people who are, today it would be, uh, you know, the, the masters of the universe, the, the, the big tech guys who own the world, okay? Like that. That's what, Lincoln was just a puppet. Slavery was just a smokescreen. It was terrible. It was bad. We've already said that. But like I told you at the beginning of the, of the show, <laughs> if you want to know who started actual chattel slavery, it was black people from Africa who came here. So you, you have to understand that, well, then why did it happen? If 19 other countries, during the years 1861 through 65, 19 other countries ended slavery without war. So why didn't we? Well, you have to listen to the people like General Robert E. Lee, who spoke about it after the war and said, look, we were ready. We were on the road to, to getting rid of, of slavery, uh, et cetera. Somebody needed that war. Well, I can show you who needed it. And we talk about it in our books. Again, what happened during the war, and if you, if you follow the money, you go, okay, now it all makes sense. What happened during the war? What was different after the war than before? Well, number one, the country was split almost in a perfect bifurcation, two equal offsetting halves, okay? North, south. They needed something, black, white, male, female, whatever, but the north, south, that works, okay, good. And, and so what happened? We came out of it, there was no more gold and silver money. Now it was paper. Oh, wow, what happened there? Well, we got to pay the troops. See, uh, we've got all this debt. Uh, all this has to get taken care of. So Lincoln says, oh, yeah, let's use greenbacks. It, it'll ruin the bankers. See, we, we'll ruin the bankers by using green. No, 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 you're serving the bankers, chump. We know. Anyway, so if you saw what happened, number one, we lost our lawful money. And it, we gave them the counterfeiting concession. 51 years later, Congress says, oh, here, here, uh, Fed cartel, you can take it over. We don't want to, we don't want the, uh, the, uh, the, the bad rap for, for running this counterfeiting op. So we're going to let you, the Fed cartel, run it now. But for 51 years before, since 1871, they had been running it. So they took our money, okay, lawful money, gold and silver. They took our militias, and, and I've given Tim, and Tim has put it up on the, on the site, a six-part series. How did they take the militia? How did the militias die? We did nine hours on that, a six-part series where we walk you through. We show you how the FBI was born, how the DOJ was born, how, you know, the Pinkerton Agency was born. All of these things that have how the, the U.S. Army turned into many things, how the, how the, the DIC Act came about, what it, was, what it was for, how the Air Force was. Anyway, we go through everything, how the, the big, big city police departments were born and what they replaced and how. We walk you through history so that you go, wow, I never heard any of that. Well, no, you, you don't get this. I didn't get it at university. I didn't get it. We had to dig. So if you understand, we lost our, gun, our, our, our armed men in all the communities, men who, who knew if something goes down in your community, 
the men of that neighborhood get out there and get the job done. I mean, the militia was as old as the hills. It's a thousand years old. It started back with the dooms of King Ethelred in the 10th century. That's how old the militia is in Western civilization. Same way with the grand jury. And if you notice what the federal government did to the federal grand juries after the war, after Reconstruction, you see grand juries more and more and more getting sidelined or becoming rubber stamps to DAs and to, and to judges. So the DA and the judge run the show. Well, what's the point of having a, a grand jury? What if you've got a rotten DA? What if the DA is in bed with, you know, three different criminals in town and he, he's the one you're trying to get? How are you going to do that if the DA is running? Anyway, it's amazing how we lost so much in the period when there were U.S., uh, this new illegal, it's illegal to have a U.S. Army full-time. Too bad. Lincoln did it anyway. So we had all these boots on our streets. Our militias were killed. By the way, the NRA was born. <laughs> the NRA was a bunch of, a bunch of uh, northern, uh, a couple of, of northern officers who said after the war, you know, our guys can't shoot as well as those doggone rebels. We've got we've to have some kind of a, of a marksmanship program or something. And they started the National Rifle Association. Anyway, the NRA started and, and was receiving government, federal government uh, vehicles, rifles, ammunition, uh, meeting places, all kinds of things for years and years and decades before it became uh, uh, a gun rights organization. But notice in 149 years, it has never it has never uh, started to uh, replace or, or uh, revive the militias, which is the whole point of the Second Amendment. So that we'll talk about that on Monday. Uh, it's it's amazing how how simple it really is to get it all back. It's not easy, but it's simple. There's not a lot of steps. There's not a lot of pieces. And you go, wow, can I do that? Yeah, you you know you can do it. There are, these are all things that anybody can do. We've got women who are over 80 years old who are running chapters. So uh, we know we can show you, we can tell you, and we give you everything you need so that you say, I want to just take my county back. I want to get a bunch of people together, show them how it's done. I'll teach them as I learn. They'll teach me as they learn. And uh, we take America back. That's how we do it. This is action. And this is for Christians. This is not for Marx. A Marxist has to be an atheist, or he's not a true Marxist. So we don't, we don't take two people. We don't take Mohammedans, because they are at war with us, declared war with us eternally. And we don't take um, Marxists, because Marxists are atheists. They hate the God that we serve. And since this is a private organization, we can say Jesus Christ is Lord and mean it and live it, and you can't do anything about it. It's a free country. So there you go. No, I and I appreciate that. I've got some stuff going on here in the background. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I want to get ready to close out the show here, David. So you've given people a lot of the surrounding of to Lincoln um, and, and his, the influence upon him. We know member there were some members of his cabinet who were Marxists. All of this stuff has started to spread out. You know, the people used to not look to the federal government to solve every little problem. Now every little thing, if it's a sneeze, if it's if it's everything, a, yeah. every everybody looks to the federal government instead of saying you know what 
um, our forefathers used to deal with most of this stuff just themselves. They didn't even look to government, even local government. They dealt with it themselves. And we've lost a lot of that. We, we've lost, and, be, and in doing that, and the church itself has given up its responsibilities of taking care of the poor, taking care of the sick, the widows, all of these kinds of things that we're responsible for doing. Since we've given that up and said, oh, well, the government's got it, you know, Social Security and, and all of these other kinds of funding, Medicaid, Medicare, you know, whatever it is that the government wants to come up with, they're taking care of it. We don't have to worry about it. We can build bigger buildings. We can have more programs. We can have all these trips and do all this stuff instead of doing what God has called us to do, which is the mundane, basic things of life, which is caring and loving for one another. And uh, as a result of that, since we haven't done that, there's a vacuum created. And what's going to fill that vacuum? Well, it's going to be the beast. The beast state continues to grow because the church, this is the thing, guys, many of you listening within the chat room, you claim to be Christians. You claim to be my brothers and sisters, David's brothers and sisters in Christ. If we aren't doing it, the beast is going to fill that. So our complaining doesn't fit, doesn't fix this. David and I are going to talk on Monday on how we can actually fix this in a lawful, yep. in a constitutional way. And this is something that Dr. Edwin Vieira and I talked about just a couple of weeks ago when people were calling defund the police. I'm fine with that, but you've got to have something to replace it with. And I think the one, the thing to replace it with is the people themselves, the constitutional militia. And I think you're in agreement on that. We're going to talk about that on Monday. Absolutely. Ed Vieira has hung the moon as far as I'm concerned. Everything I know about militia, I learned from Ed. So he's a he is the dean of American militia. He really is. All right. That's uh, David Zuniga. David, we appreciate you very much. If you want to check out his site, go to tacticalcivics.com, tacticalcivics.com, and uh, get in touch with him there. You can support them. Uh, you know, It's been several years since David and I first got to know each other. We, I was doing some things there with uh, David and carrying some of his articles on freedomoutpost.com when I was there. Don't go over there now. It's Trump idolatry. That's just all it is. It's just... It's an awful site. It really is. I can't believe something I was a part of and, and starting has become what it is. It's just, it's just sickening to me. Anyway, uh, that's where we got to know each other. David was a very um, passionate about what he was doing. He's developing a lot of things. And over the years, he's actually got some people on board with him who are developing each of the areas that he wants to do. Uh, they, I think one of the next things he want to do is develop an app so that you can see when your guy goes to Washington, whether he's violating local law, state law or not, so that you can hold him, you can actually hold him accountable. Not with all this uh, dog and pony shows that we see in D.C. I call it the WWE of D.C., um, where they go, oh, we need another investigation only to spend millions of dollars uh, to employ other people who are against you in the first place and never bring about any resolve. And so what we're going to do on Monday, we're going to bring David back on. Uh, he's going to take his time and we're going to talk about, OK, now we know what brought this in, because this this influx of, of Lincoln and Marxism during his time and this focus on the federal government has gotten us away from us the people enforcing the law many of you out there hear about things you see it on television you go that guy deserves to have a dirt nap you know or whatever the case you see it it's on the video like the guy up in uh, in minnesota and you see this stuff well guess what in the constitutional militia you have a part to play in that you don't get to be judge judge um jury and executioner but you have a part to play in that and you can actually see 
the things take place that you want to see. And that's where we want to go. We want to go back to the responsibility we have as the people of God to uphold the law, even as I read in Psalm 78, the law that God gave us. And uh, and, and and that's what we want to encourage people to do. So tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock, Saturday morning, we're going to have Kate Shimarani back on. You know, they had, we've been telling you about them targeting her in the U.K., one of the things that they're doing is this week they had a hearing without her. She said, I can't be there. And they had the hearing anyway, which is against law. And they 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 went ahead with that. So we're probably going to talk a little bit about that. She may have some health stuff there. She's going to take her questions as normal. That'll be tomorrow morning, 8 a.m., July the 4th. You want to celebrate freedom? Let's talk about the fight against freedom. All right. Or let's talk about the fight against freedom and the fight and the fight for freedom, both in the U.S. and the U.K., because Kate's in the middle of it. And then on Monday, we're going to have David Zuniga back with us until then. You guys have a great weekend and a great Lord's Day, and we'll see you.